You are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to your favorite day of the week. I'm Anthony Irwin. This is Locked On NBA. I am not joined by Adam Matas. He is out for the next couple weeks. But Sam Amick, who has been on the show with me a cut once before, has been nice enough and, and uh, flexible enough to come on here and, and hop on for the next couple weeks. Sam, thank you very much for hopping on, especially given how late we're, we're talking right now. No problem at all, Anthony. Thanks for having me on. I, I assume you uh, were watching that double OT game like I was with San Antonio OKC. So a little, little late night action, but uh, good to be with you. <laughs> it's so – I mean we everybody says this all the time, but on any given night, it, it just feels like the NBA seems to deliver at this point. It, it makes for a really fun viewing experience for everybody. Yeah, I mean, that was something else. That was one <laughs> where if I could have hit the magic button and, you know, and had a uh, a turbo jet to San Antonio to be courtside for that thing, it would have been fun to be there. Because, I mean, that crowd, especially you feel like Spurs fans right now, that it's a little bit like it's all gravy because I think they thought that the year was was kind of, just uh, wasted when the injury bug hit him like it did. And they've actually got a, a fun thing going these last couple of weeks. And so you could feel that energy coming through that crowd. And then, you know, OKC, you know how it is. Like none of us necessarily have rooting interest, but man, I'm watching those Thunder guys battle. And I mean, both sides were just getting after it, but you know, that's a tough, tough loss for the Thunder. And I mean, Russ with another, you know, 20, what was it 20, 2010, whatever it ended yeah. up being, triple double? I mean, yeah. it's incredible. I yeah. saw uh, Ben Golliver from the Washington Post had tweeted that, you know, Russ now has two of those triple doubles, and every other NBA player for all time has none, which is pretty wild. <laughs> that sounds about right. That, right. <laughs> that sounds about right. The, the, the thing that I really enjoy, and you, you kind of alluded to it here, but the Spurs. I was I was one of the people, and and one one of these days, uh, I will learn my lesson here. But I was one of those people who was second guessing the Spurs heading into the season. I wasn't sure about the roster makeup. I wasn't sure how they were going to look defensively. Lately, they've really picked things up, and and if <laughs> wouldn't you know it, the Spurs are right there in the six seed, just right in the thicket of things as as they will be. I think forevermore. It's going to be one of. Newton is going to come back and rewrite a law just for the San Antonio Spurs, I believe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's fun to watch. I mean, my God, I know this is not the uh, the Spurs Nation podcast, but, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, 56 points. You know, I've been watching <laughs> that guy play ball for a long, long, long time, and he was just on fire. And, and obviously those numbers get juiced up a little bit because of the two extra periods. Um, but you know, just a, a neat game. And DeMar DeRozan having a, a tough night, had two potential game winners that he wasn't able to hit. Um, so fun stuff. You know, Steven Adams uh, in, in the second overtime flying through the lane as if he was in some dunk contest and, and finishing. So it was it was a good one. He looks like Aquaman is my is my oh, professional yeah. analysis of that. And, and that was an Aquaman-esque uh, dunk. Um, well, he had the bad bum ankle and everything, man. He was grimacing through it. It was, it was a tough guy act. Yeah, he, and and from one of the toughest guys in the league, and and this right. actually kind of gives us a a, a jump off point here. We'll flip it around a little bit. Uh, well, no, not really. We're going to talk a little bit about how the Western Conference playoff picture might affect the trade deadline. I've heard some say that they think it's going to be a busier one because more teams feel like they're they have a chance at making the playoffs than in years past. 
I've heard others go the opposite direction and say that we they think it might be a slower one because of the huge dominoes that could fall, whether it's this season with Anthony Davis or this upcoming offseason with Kevin Durant and those other free agents to be. I I I legitimately have no usually I have a a relatively educated guess. My hands are up in the air. And you and I were talking before we went on the air here and and you were saying the same thing that you've it's been hard for you to figure it out which way this might go one way or the other. For sure. I mean, you know, in my neck of the woods, Northern California, south of Sacramento, you know, there was the report the other day about Ennis Cantor maybe coming to the Kings and so Sacramento comes to mind because they are the only team that has space right now that it becomes a valuable tool for teams that might want to move contracts. Uh, I think they're about 11 million under the cap, mm-hmm. um, you know, but that's not the sexiest of moves. I think that right now what's not clear for me is who are, you know, who the, the sellers are going to be. I mean, there's plenty of buyers and I don't yeah. know, you know, you look at a, a Chicago and certainly, you know, a lot of uh, speculation about them. You look at Atlanta and the Jeremy Lins and Kent Bazemore types. Um, you know, the Wizards thought, you know, we thought they were going to sell. And then the John Wall injury hit, and they seem to be finding their way a little bit and, and trying to figure things out with that core. You know, Otto Porter, another name to watch there. But I, I feel like, you know, you need enough sellers in the East to potentially satiate the buyers in the West because I really do think as I sit here looking at the standings in the West, you know, the vast majority of those teams are either going to stand pat or buy um, because, you know, Utah is sitting there in the ninth spot. I guarantee you they know they need a little something more. I don't know who they're targeting, but, you know, given the landscape in the West, you know, I think they're a buyer. Sacramento would love to get into the playoffs. They mm-hmm. don't have a draft pick this year. They have no incentive to lose. So they'd love to get in. Uh, Minnesota with the Ryan Saunders regime, you know, starting and with the Tom Thibodeau decision, you know, they would love to get in New Orleans, obviously. Uh, and there's, you know, there's some buzz about them kind of big game hunting and trying to do whatever they, they have to, to, uh, to hold on to AD. So go down the line, you know, Memphis, Dallas, both also trying to get in and then everybody in that top eight trying to stay there. So, uh, you know, it's when you have far more buyers than you have sellers, it, it could end up leading to a, you know, a stale market. That, that makes a lot of sense. Actually, I have a theory as to what might be complicating the market here, and, uh, and we're going to take a quick second, and I'll, I'll throw that at you and see what you think. So the summer of 2016, uh, I believe, deserves its own documentary <laughs> for the NBA. It was, it was such an incredible spending spree that several teams, the my own Lakers <laughs> as one of them, were regretting almost immediately. And now we're getting to a point where some of those contracts are either getting ready to expire uh, next season or some of them are, are fortunate enough to, to be expiring now or have player or team options or whatever attached to them. And I'm kind of wondering, it's usually in most markets, you see some more mid-tier contracts that are a little bit easier to move. They're they're easier to figure out and to, you know, if a team has cap space or another team has a matching contract that can go back out or whatever. But if you look across the market of sellers that, that, that you were mentioning there, a lot of those contracts are kind of inflated compared to the contracts that some of the, the seller or the, the, the buyer teams are looking to move. And it makes things really kind of awkward there in terms of fit 
fitting within the within the uh, CBA rules and trade rules and all that. Would you would you roll with that, or do you think it's just a matter of there are so many more uh, buyers than there are sellers? No, I think it could be both for sure. But I mean, those contracts you you have that'd be actually a fun list to put together. You know, <laughs> we we saw the Chandler Parsons thing kind of play out. Um, you know, this week in Memphis and. You know, that, that's one of those. And I just think if you had a top 10 of, you know, the, the dead money, so to speak, that got given out that summer, you know, it's just, that's just going to sit there. That's that those fish are not going to get, you know, bought off the, uh, off the old, the, the deli, uh, market yeah. as I lose my analogy there, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I think, you know, that has created, you know, a, a more of a dead space, uh, and, and a lot of money tied up in that part of the market than, than is usually the case. It makes it it makes it t- like for the Lakers, for example, they are a team that that especially they were looking like they weren't going to be able to tread water. They've won the last couple games, and I think that has has changed the entire city's outlook on things. And yet, you know, if they were looking to buy a lot of those teams, contracts aren't expiring till next year. Well, the Lakers aren't interested in those kinds of contracts at all because they want to maintain as much flexibility heading into next season. That's kind of taking right. them out of the, the Beal sweepstakes as well. And you know, I, I would imagine there are some teams around the league who might not have such strict a rule as the Lakers do there, but are, are trying to maintain flexibility given how much how, how up in the air the playoff scenario might be. The worst thing you can do is, is, is use assets to try to get into the playoffs and then miss them nonetheless. And, and given how tough say the Western conferences, that's a very realistic scenario for quite a few of the teams that might be looking to buy. hundred percent. I mean, you know, and, and again, what's unique, I think about so many of these teams in the West is that, you know, I don't remember a season where there was real value, uh, you know, for that individual franchise to get to the playoffs, even if they bow out in the first round, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. usually it's seen as kind of a hollow pursuit, to simply get to the playoffs and because of things like, you know, not to go through the whole laundry list again, but like in Minnesota, you know, they, they broke their playoff drought and they don't want to go back to those days. They, you know, they, they want to keep the momentum going forward. The Kings haven't been there since 2006. Um, you know, Utah certainly doesn't want to take a step backwards. So, you know, you have this aggressiveness with these teams that, you know, normally I think would kind of let up on the gas pedal knowing that they didn't have championship contender you know talent um but that's not the case right now i mean it's i think for a lot of uh, owners and front offices it's you know they're trying to get to the middle so they can just feel good about what they did by the end of the year yeah makes a ton of makes a ton of sense and then i think the other factor here worth pointing out is if you look at the top of the conference right now it's the denver nuggets it isn't the golden state warriors so some of those teams that might be sneaking sneaking into that eight spot they might be looking at denver they sound a lot more beatable than Golden State normally does, who would typically be in that spot, and I think that that's having an impact as well. I think you're like 100. percent I think the idea that nobody is invincible right now, um, you know, and even if the Warriors, let's just assume they get back up to the number one spot, we'll see how the the Marcus Cousins integration goes. But even you know these Warriors are not as daunting as the Warriors of the past couple of years, especially with. The Cousins thing, I'm in that camp that says I got to see how it's going to work before I know what to think because this is not – it was fun and all back in the summer 
when everybody came up with their memes looking at, you know, DeMarcus as Thanos and, <laughs> and how it was this, the super team, you know, with, with all these all-stars. But this is this game is complicated, and so I'm not buying it just yet. But I think you're right that it elevates everybody's confidence around the entire league that, you know, anything can happen. I even had, you know, I put my tinfoil hat on the other day, you know, with the team that you spent a lot of time talking about writing about is the Lakers and the idea that like, you know, if I was LeBron, I would be tempted. I'm not saying he's going to, you know, go in the bag and, and try to manipulate the standings. But like if you're LeBron and you faced the Warriors as many times as you have in the finals and you know that it would be an uphill battle to take them out with this Lakers team, mm-hmm. I would almost want to know in the first round if, you know, if that was something that we could shock the world. Because if you beat the Warriors in the first round, you know, then that's going to be up there on the same, you know, not the same level, but that's like beating them when they're down 3-1 in Cleveland. Yeah. You know, it's um, so who the heck knows if we have like a, an 8-1 seed matchup that, that is truly compelling. And that's the stuff that I think is going to motivate these GMs because it does seem more wide open than last year. The The thing that interests me with Golden State is they have their five guys, right? They have they have Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Andre Iguodala, Kevin Durant and Draymond Green, they won a championship that way. They dominate when those guys are out there on the floor together. I'm, I can't wait for the first close game in the fourth quarter where Kerr goes to Draymond Green and says, hey, we're going to ride Boogie tonight. Or, or goes to Boogie and say, hey, I know you're in a contract year, but we're going to roll with the guys who got us a championship last year. Like That, yeah. that dynamic is going to be really I fascinating. Mean, listen, did you, did you see any of DeMarcus's media today? No, I didn't catch it. No, I mean it was it was fast. And listen, I you know, I've been around him a lot, mm-hmm. covered him uh, closely for years. And I mean, what I thought was interesting was he was in the group media session. He was asked about you know the timing of his return, and you know essentially how many kind of you know how long have you been trying to come back, and how was that negotiation to figure out a date and a game? And he had intimated that there were some coaching things that Steve wanted, but the tone of it was really like that they were not on the same page and he mm-hmm. just had to do, you know, what Steve wanted. Uh, and then Anthony Slater of our place at the athletic, the beat writer does a great job had, had asked him, well, what are those things that Steve wanted? And he kind of, you know, smirked a little bit and said, you got to ask him. Oof. And I just was like, man, media session Already? number one, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you're, you're dead on. It's going to, there's going to be a competitive moment where somebody's not going to be happy with the rotations. And, you know, I think it wouldn't shock me to see that kind of a thing test that group. Yeah, and and to the point you were making earlier, if I was a team getting ready to go into the playoffs, I'd rather face Golden State before they have that figured out in that first round than sure. after after a couple rounds worth getting into the Western Conference Finals or or whatever when those guys are a little bit more on the same page. That's going to be really interesting to watch. For sure. And that's why with the Lakers, like, I kept looking at the standings and thinking, like, they got to be careful. They can't fall out of the standings. Yeah. But, you know, if they could control it, LeBron specifically, there's, you know, if you could wave a magic wand and, and give yourself the eight seed, there's part of me that thinks he might do that and uh, try to take that path. That'll be interesting. Definitely interesting. We're going to take another quick second here and we're going to come back. We are just about 41 games in across the board. Uh, for the NBA. We're going to hand out our midseason awards, send you guys off into the weekend with that kind of stuff. So, uh, so hang tight.
All right, so so far this season, I, I felt, I mean, Hardened is it was on a run or is on a run that, I mean, has been compared to all, all of the best runs ever, and rightfully so. Uh, and yet, for most of the season, Giannis to me has has been the one who, in my opinion, is the 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 not clear far and away MVP, but he has owned that spot, and I don't think I've seen enough from anybody to just clearly dethrone him from there. Uh, Sam, you actually have votes at the end of the year. Uh, do you do the midseason thing or do you I, how, how do you what's your process for 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 breaking down how how the season goes and leading into your votes at the end of the year? Well, to be honest, it's changed or it's changing a little bit kind of in real time right now since I made the change uh, job change from USA Today to the Athletic. Mm-hmm. At USA Today, we would typically do like a midseason awards and, and kind of set that tone and try to give people an idea of exactly where our heads are at. Mm-hmm. The the rhythm's a little bit different at this job. And so I, you know, so far anyway, I hadn't done that. And admittedly, I don't want to be held uh, on record here to any of my picks as we sit here <laughs> riffing about this. But I, you know, I haven't done any kind of deep dive uh, on the awards. We obviously have a long way to go. I mean, on the MVP front, you know, it's a case of you just constantly calculating that, you know, that, that unofficial calculus of team success and, and the guy's dominance. And, and I'm, I'm a big sucker for, you got to check a lot of boxes. You know, I, I want to pay attention to the defensive side of the ball quite a bit, which is where, you know, James Harden has always been a tricky one. I will say that this is mostly just the eyeball test for me right now and maybe getting a little caught up in, storylines that I've been closer to and I haven't seen the Bucks in a little while. And I'm certainly, you know, uh, making sure that I appreciate Giannis's greatness, but what James is doing, you know, I'd, I'd probably be giving him the edge by a hair at the moment. I mean, it's, you're talking about a, you know, a seven point edge roughly in scoring. Uh, and, and the way he's lifted that team out of this early season doldrums that none of us really saw coming. I, I never thought they'd be as bad as they were as quickly and then next thing you know you know they're poised right now if they want to keep pushing this thing they could be on top of the west and you're doing a lot of it without chris paul without eric gordon um i think james has a pretty good narrative which always ends up coming into play but you know we are going to have to look at Giannis, guys like that even ad if the pelicans start winning more games and and make sure that we reconcile with you know the, the historic numbers that those guys are putting up the weird one to me is Jokic. Like, yeah. He has on on paper everything that you would want from a guy, right? He's sitting atop the conference right now. His team has gone through all kinds of injuries. He has been the far and away driving force out there. And yet there's been a, a reluctance to to include him in that conversation. And I can't quite figure out why. And I'm I'm just as guilty as anyway. I just said Giannis a second ago. Um, though Jokic is in that type, that that kind of top tier for me, where would you put Jokic in this entire conversation? Is it just a matter of awards tend to be a year behind? That is part of it. I think his style of play, and this doesn't make it right at all, mm-hmm. but he he just has a more sophisticated game that yeah. takes a, a little more studying to appreciate. You know, tonight in particular, and this was a fantastic viral moment. But, you know, the Jokic highlight of the night, highlight of the night is, you know, he gets the board, no dribble, no anything, just turns and launches a, a Joe Montana 60-yard pass to, I think it was Jamal Murray, on the break. Mm-hmm. 
and, and it was an incredible pass and MVP type thing, but it's also not Giannis jumping from essentially the free throw line or, or, you know, crossing half court and taking two steps and being at the rim or Harden breaking somebody's ankles. I think the tricky part with Jokic is you got to look closer to appreciate what he's doing. And you do have to study the numbers. And once you start saying things, even in conversation and debate, like on paper and study the numbers, you know, then you're, the odds eyes are start, already working against yeah, you. Yeah, the eyes start glazing over a little bit. Yeah, it reminds <laughs> me a little bit of like the controversial Marcus All Defensive Player of the Year, uh, you know, uh, candidacy when mm-hmm. he won it however many years ago. Um, but I mean, Jokic is fantastic. You just and then even the defensive side is tricky because he was god awful last year, but then they've gotten a lot better this year and he's made improvements. So uh, I think he's in there. I wouldn't, you know, right now if I'm handicapping it. You know, I think the voting would uh, would probably tick off a lot of Nuggets fans. You know, as far as how many votes you would actually get. Yeah, that's that's they like to be picked, ticked off though. Like Adam, I do the show every week with Adam. And <laughs> he he just finds something to to complain about no matter what. Uh, we, yeah, they we should be on cloud nine right now. Their team is <laughs> fun to watch. They they really are. They really are. It's the most annoying thing because he's so smug. Um, but, but, uh, the last thing I want to, I want to kind of run by you here before I send you on your way. And and thanks again for hopping on with me here. Uh, I've always kind of struggled with the premise of the award for rookie of the year, right? Like no other award. Do we just say nobody else can win it except for this specific year. And I think it makes for looking at rookies, in a way that doesn't really serve anybody any good. It's a it's an award that has been around forever, will be handed out forever. But I, I, I the more and more I look at it, I've gone through it a couple of years now here with with first it was D'Angelo Russell and then it was Lonzo Ball and then it was Brandon Ingram. They were never in that conversation really. But I just see the way that you kind of look at rookies gets thrown off completely by this desire for an award. You can you only have one shot at. Uh, how how do you how do you gauge it's Luca's award to win right now so that's why it's not really an interesting conversation to have but do you, how do you feel about the conversation that that is had about rookies on an what feels like an now an annual basis it just gets a little dumber in my opinion no I'm with you 100 um, percent Luca's a fantastic player you know I had this discussion with some executives this week about how I'm dying to see what he looks like in three or four years. You know, some of the teams that didn't pick him had some intel, accurate or not, that they were, you know, not feeling very bullish on his work ethic and and the ability to get better. So there was this idea, to quote Dave Yeager with one of his kind of, you know, controversial quotes that he kind of had to clean up, that when the Mm -hmm. Kings coach had said when they played Dallas – that there was this notion that there was a ceiling with Luca, and he's not wrong. That notion existed for multiple teams. Yep. And the, you know, I think to your question about rookie of the year, the silly part is just that it becomes a crowning, and it just shouldn't be. You know, it's Ben Simmons is struggling this year uh, with with different parts of his game that we thought would take a step forward, and so it's like. The narrative's not consistent. Oh, wait a minute. But I thought this was the guy who had the trophy. Well, what did that matter? You know, uh, there's a bigger picture here. And I I mean, I I have a funny viewpoint on rookie of the year because one of my more memorable 
rookie of the year stories that I covered closely in, in Sacramento where I live is the Tyreek Evans rookie of the year. And, and it was, you know, Steph Curry came on strong in the second half of the season, but that year in, in, for the Kings, uh, Tyreek averaged 20 points, five boards, five assists, you know, constantly got compared historically to guys like LeBron, who were the only ones who had done that as a rookie there. I mean, they essentially had billboards and posters made that said 25 and five and the hype machine was in full effect. And then it's like you fast forward to 2018 and what value was that rookie of the year award? I mean, Tyreek's put together a, a long, you know, productive, profitable career and that's great, but he's nowhere near the guy that they thought he was going to be after year one. Yeah, I, I would even go so far as to say that it almost did him a disservice, right? Because people are looking yeah. at that and they say, wait, he won it over Steph? Look where Steph is now. And right. and so it's it, it's a, it hurts him twofold. In one aspect, his fans are looking at him and saying, wait, why wasn't, why wasn't growth linear there? And then the people who are his, I guess, quote-unquote detractors, for lack of a better term right now, are looking at it and saying, well, wait, he – he really didn't grow, but he kind of sort of did. He's a useful player. He he would help any playoff team right now. Yeah. Well, and even, you know, even though Donovan didn't win it, you know, but he, he was part of the hype machine so much that I think he almost unofficially gets that same treatment. And plus what he did, you know, in the playoffs. And But you look at a guy like Donovan and, and I just pulled up his numbers. Like if I, if I didn't tell you what he did uh, as a rookie, and I just said, hey, the Jazz have this guy. He's 22, second year, and he's given them almost 21 a game, three and a half assists, um, three and a half boards, you know, 41% overall, 31% on almost seven attempts. From three, you'd be like, damn, that's pretty good for a second year guy, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, that, that's almost like, like De'Aaron Fox is the inverse of that. He's benefiting from the fact that he was bad enough in his rookie year. Yeah, he had no expectations this season. No expectations. Now he's, you know, he's looking like a rock star because his percentages are up about 10%. And, uh, you know, and so he's, he doesn't kind of have that stink on him, uh, which is, I'm with you for sure. I think if I was a player, it's a weird thing because you want to come out of the gate strong, but then it becomes a blessing and a curse, I think, when you get wrapped up into that, that rookie of the year thing. So the moral of the story here is that we got to do away with the rookie of the year then. Like it, sure. You it's and fine I, by me. Yeah. You and I, Sam, we, we, we're going to beat this path together. and We're, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to get rid of the rookie of the year. It's just, it really is just a false narrative, you know. I mean, that's it just the noise level reaches uh, kind of a, a point that is disproportionate to, you know, the actual value of, of that one, you know, calendar season. Yep, I completely agree. All right, that'll do it, though, for this episode and this week's episodes of the Locked On NBA podcast. I'm Anthony Irwin. That was Sam Amick of The Athletic. Thank you very much, Sam, for hopping on, and uh, I guess I'll talk to you in a week. You got it. Thanks, Anthony. Have a good week.